To the praying person, Jesus speaks some scandalous words here today. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And he doesn't just say it here. He says these things that we will be assured that our prayers will be answered throughout the gospel. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, so as to glorify the Father and the Son. Anything you ask in my name, I will do, he says in John chapter 14. In John chapter 15, he says, if you live in me, my words stay part of you. You may ask what you will, it will be done for you. And then in John chapter 16, he says, whatever you ask the Father, he will give you in my name. Christ is always making these promises, but it's scandalous to the praying person because we know there are many prayers that go unheard or unanswered, perhaps. And so what are we to make of this? Is Jesus a liar? Or are we just not praying well? St. Thomas Aquinas says that there are four conditions to be met. Four conditions. If we are to have this infallible prayer, what the church calls this infallible petitionary prayer, which says de fide, because, which means of the faith, Christ promises that if we pray, this prayer will be answered. And so I'm going to go over these four conditions and what that means for us. The first condition, this might seem counterintuitive, is that we pray for ourselves. We pray for ourselves. St. Thomas says, that this prayer that will be answered, is promised to be answered, has to be a prayer for oneself and not a prayer for another. It doesn't mean that we don't pray for others. But let's consider Christ himself, who in John chapter 17, then offers a prayer to the Father. He says, I pray that they may be one as we are one. That is a grace for church unity. But the prayer hasn't been answered yet. In fact, throughout the 2,000 years, the problem only seems to get worse. Now we have like tens of thousands of denominations. So does that mean we don't pray for others? No, because Christ obviously prayed for others. But what St. Thomas is saying is that we can control our disposition to receive graces. We cannot control the disposition of others. And perhaps we are here because of the prayers of others. Perhaps there's some... Um, you know, unknown nun in Yugoslavia who has prayed for all of us, and now we are here by the graces that she has won uh, by her prayers. But in praying for ourselves, we can dispose ourselves to receive graces. And this is leading into the second condition, and that is that we pray what is necessary for salvation. So it's not enough to just simply say, Lord, I'm, I'm praying for myself. And I am disposing myself, Lord, to receive a Ferrari this night. You know? Like, the Ferrari is not necessary for salvation. But what is necessary for salvation is growth in the virtues. The theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, by which we're joined to God. And the moral virtues, uh, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude, by which we use the things of this world rightly. We pray for these virtues so that we can have what is necessary to enter in to heaven, to, to be saved. So that, for instance, it would look more like this. Lord, I'm, I 
driving to family member's house, and I know that every time I see that family member, we get into a fight. Give me the patience necessary to not lose my cool, and give me the grace necessary to be able to forgive quickly when I know that something will flare up. That is the kind of prayer that we make, and that's the kind of prayer that the Lord provides sufficient grace for. But it's not enough to just simply say that along in the car ride, offer that up half-heartedly. There are two more conditions with which we need to meet this kind of prayer that the Lord is guaranteed to answer. The third condition is that we pray piously. Pray piously. St. Thomas says this simply means that we pray with Humility, confidence, 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 literally meaning with faith, and attention. And he makes an interesting point which relates to the gospel that we heard today, in which Christ says something really uh, peculiar. It seems like Christ in the gospel kind of paints the Lord just to kind of be a jerk. That this man goes, knocks on someone's door, he asks for three loaves of bread, and then the man living in the house says, well, we're asleep, so quit bothering us. As if we're the one praying, and then we're bothering God when we're praying. What are we to make of this? Christ says this interesting line that helps us to interpret. If he does not get up to give the visitor the loaves because of their friendship, He will get up to give him whatever he needs because of his persistence. St. Thomas says that we can pray to the Lord if we are not his friend. That is, if we are not in a state of grace. If I am in mortal sin, I can still pray. And I can still ask the Lord for grace. And the reason is, is that Prayer appeals to God's mercy, while merit, that is being a state of grace, appeals to God's justice. In the same way that a beggar can come up to me and ask me for money, it does not mean that he has earned the money, like as if I have employed this man, but still the money can be given. So it is that we are poor beggars before the Lord, that we can ask the Lord for grace, not because we have earned it, merited it, but because... We appeal to his mercy. We pray piously with humility, confidence, and attention for the grace to be reconciled to him, even when we are not his friend. And then the fourth um, requirement that St. Thomas says is that we pray for perseverance, which touches on our first reading, in which it seems like, again, at face value, God is a jerk, but worse than a jerk, it seems like God is a terrorist. And that Abraham is in a hostage negotiation with him, where he's saying, well, please don't burn down Sodom and Gomorrah. If there are 50 souls, will you burn it down? 50 just souls? No, I won't. What if there are 40? No, I won't. What if there are 30? No, I won't. What if there are 20? No, I won't. What if there are 10? No, I won't. What Abraham is doing here, he's not changing God's mind. God's mind doesn't change. By his perseverance in prayer, what God has done is that he's changed Abraham. Now Abraham doesn't just care about the 50. He doesn't just care about the masses. He doesn't just care about the 40. He doesn't just care about the 30. Not even just the 20. Abraham cares so particularly about the individuals in Sodom and Gomorrah that he cares about even if there are 10. 
Lord, please don't burn this down. And it's because God is changing Abraham to be like himself. Because God is the one who cares about the one. He cares about just Abraham's salvation. That's good enough for the Lord. And so in perseverance, what God has done is that he has stretched Abraham's heart to be like his own. And so these four requirements that we pray for ourselves, that we pray for what is necessary for salvation, that we pray piously, and that we pray for perseverance, what does it mean? What does it mean for us? What is the Lord trying to say? First, it's worth pointing out, if the Lord guarantees something, if a good father guarantees, like he makes something his first priority, then it means that this is what matters most. So if the Lord guarantees to answer this kind of prayer, it means that what the Lord cares about most is that we be saved, that I become holy, that you become holy. He does not care most that, you know, we receive a Ferrari or that we have a comfortable life or that we have a good job or even that we have a functional family or even that we pray for someone else's salvation and not for our own first. There is no canonized saint who just did a lot of good things but was not holy themselves. The first requirement is that they are holy themselves. The Lord cares first about our own salvation. Secondly, there's this beautiful quote that the Council of Trent takes up from St. Augustine. And this is what St. Augustine says. That God does not command the impossible. But by commanding, he teaches you both to do what you can do. And to ask what you cannot do. And he helps you that you may be able. That the Lord calls us into his kingdom. He asks us to be holy. He also recognizes that of our own abilities, we can't be holy. But he does, when we get on our knees and beg him for grace, provide the necessary grace to become holy. He does not ask of something that is impossible. But he asks us to do something to the best of our ability, and then whenever we are no longer able, to ask him for the grace necessary. The third point, to be humble, confident, and attentive, that is to pray piously, is that this happens all the time that when we are not in friendship with God, the Lord puts things in our way that allow us to become friends with him. So, for instance, you could imagine um, a, a pious grandmother dies, and at her funeral, her grandson, who has been away from the church for years, begins to pray for the repose of her soul during the funeral liturgy. And throughout those prayers, petitioning God that she be brought into his kingdom quickly, God touches the man's conscience so that he realizes, you know, I haven't been in confession in 10 to 15 years. Perhaps now it's time to go. That by imploring God's mercy, that by becoming a beggar before the Lord, the man receives sufficient grace to become the Lord's friend once again. And then the fourth and final point is that this perseverance in prayer 
allows us to stretch our heart to receive graces that we did not want previously, but that the Lord knew that we needed. So you can imagine as well a man who maybe struggles with purity. And again and again, he asks the Lord to be saved from sins and bring him back and back again to the confessional so that he can be remaining in a state of grace. And so in persevering in prayer and not giving up, the Lord isn't just giving him a pure heart. He's not just easing his conscience in this way. But by persevering in prayer, the Lord is doing some behind-the-scenes work where he's making the man more humble, where he relies upon the Lord more and more, where he's making the man more compassionate because he understands his own weakness, he understands the weakness of others, where he's making the man more charitable because he no longer looks at his own needs but the needs of others. That in perseverance, the Lord gives us graces that we did not ask for but that we needed and we did not perceive we needed. Or perhaps you can imagine a college student who comes to the Lord and asks the Lord for their vocation. And perhaps they're kind of in a rush to know their vocation. There's a lot of time-sensitive things. But in begging the Lord and persevering in their desire to know their vocation, they don't just know what they're going to do for the rest of their life. But they've actually obtained a deep, prayerful relationship with God. That now, perhaps they make a holy hour every day or come to daily mass as often as they can. That perhaps they grow in their reading of spiritual literature and um, desire to bring other souls along through maybe different Bible studies or whatever it might be. That in persevering in prayer, the Lord wants to give us more than we could desire. We see this, for instance, with Christ that... At the Last Supper, when he prays for church unity and for others, and he does not receive it, or not has yet received it, he does immediately receive by persevering in prayer right after that Last Supper in the agony in the garden, Father, this is your will, let it be done. He perseveres in prayer. He receives the strength in order to carry the cross. But the disciples who are with him fall asleep And they, because they do not persevere in prayer, do not receive the sufficient grace to follow the Lord to the cross. And so in conclusion, the Lord is all good. He's all knowing. He's all loving. And as Jesus says, he is a good father who desires to give good gifts to his children. How much more will he give us the Holy Spirit, his greatest gift? to those who ask.